Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash deathdyingpod. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today's episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things is also brought to you by BarkBox.com. Get one free extra month of BarkBox at getbarkbox.com slash deathdyingpod. You're listening to the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Just a quick shout out to Patreons Daniel Smith and Daya Darko for supporting the show on Patreon. It means a lot. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash death dying and other things. Any little bit helps. Now, on to the show. I still remember thinking something was very, very wrong. The growth spurts when I was 13, 14, 15 years old made my body feel like it was ripping itself apart. I would sit in the hot shower for 20, 30, 40 minutes, hoping the heat would sink into my aching joints. I remember my parents pounding on the door. I'm sure they thought I was showing myself a good time, and yeah, I probably was occasionally, but goddamn. Mostly I was just staring at my ankles, wondering if they were going to snap themselves in half. It was hard to get out of bed. Not in the I don't want to get out of bed way I experience now, but in the fucking hell I can't physically get out of bed way. Nothing worked right, and everything hurt. My body, after a little over a decade on earth, was rebelling. I still don't know if what I went through was normal. No one ever told me growth spurts were going to be painful, or that they were supposed to be. Were they supposed to be? Or did I narrowly escape with my life? This month on Death, Dying, and Other Things, a story about puberty. In One Red, One Green, One Blue, a teenager's very reality starts changing as he grows up. dying, the thresholds between this world and the next, the boundary between light and dark, the barrier between worlds, and that's where we're going. We are going into the shadows to bring you stories of horror and heartbreak. From the Modern Horrors Podcast Network, this is Death, Dying, and Other Things. I'm Justin Buskey. Stay with us. such a long time I wanted a gift. A special power. Something unique and powerful that would change the essence of my existence. Before this started, I'd lay awake at night, extend my hand, and try to move things with my mind. When that failed, I thought maybe I was an exceptionally gifted athlete, and then I was cut from the baseball team. Maybe I was a math whiz, able to churn out complex computations using only the power of my brain. My C in math disabused me of that notion. Maybe I had latent powers, though. 
powers just waiting to be unlocked during puberty. Maybe a school would send me a letter, or I'd be recruited by some secret organization. But all I got out of puberty was searing pain in my bones as my body stretched to its limit over and over. I first saw them late on a Wednesday night. One red, one green, one blue. Like the whole world was tinted with Easter egg dye. The highlights and shadows of my little room painted with watercolor. And then they were gone. Three quick flashes, changing my whole world momentarily, and then back to normal. I was 14, and I was staying up too late, and now I was puzzled, delighted, and wishing the colors would come back. I called them my flashes. They grew in frequency, but never in duration. Weekly, then daily, then several times a day over the course of several months. They were my gift, made my world more beautiful. I found myself wishing when they happened that I could hang on, prolong the flashes, color the dull world around me in red and green and blue. What a power that would be. For months, they came randomly, the colors, the flashes. One red, one green, one blue, always in that order. I tried my best to hang on to them each time they happened, focusing all of my energy on clasping the colors, embracing them, and then digging my claws in. The first few times it happened in class, my teachers thought I was falling ill. Then they thought I just wasn't paying attention. Eventually, they thought I was just trying to cause a disruption. I got sent to the principal's office a lot those first few months. My mother, on the other hand, never saw these episodes. She was a single mom working for a demanding boss that often kept her late and also worked odd jobs when she could. She took the teacher's words for it, that I was not paying attention, that I was causing trouble, and kept me grounded while she wasn't home. The grounding would end when my teachers told her that I wasn't behaving quote-unquote like a shithead anymore. My favorite television show in those early teen years was, okay, you're gonna laugh, Beavis and Butthead. I was a simple kid with dumb, simple pleasures, and I'm not here to apologize for my taste in awful cartoon programming. Only the TV in the living room had cable, which meant only the nights where my mom worked exceptionally late or worked one of her second jobs were nights I could watch. I was watching the episode where the titular Beavis and Butthead find a baby bird on the sidewalk and think it's where chicken nuggets come from. I blinked at the television, and suddenly my vision was red. I breathed, and it was green. And then before I could react, my world washed over with blue. I bared down on my thoughts, focused all my energy on the blue filter I was now seeing through. I felt my face flush. Blood pumped in my ears and then my vision went dark. The next thing I remember was the sound, loud enough to jolt me awake, of something large and shrieking moving just over my body. 
My eyes wrenched open, but still all I saw was darkness, and I thought that I had only imagined opening my eyes. I tried again, but couldn't, of course, because my eyes were already open. I was just blind. I had gone blind. Panic set in as I felt the impact of something large against the ground above my head. The ground. The ground around me, I now came to see, or rather feel, wasn't the soft carpet of the living room that I had expected, but the hard and gravelly surface of some rocky pass somewhere in the wilderness. The ground was cold, and I realized I was trembling from the temperature. A slow breeze tickled my skin, driving my body temperature down further until I was burning from the cold. I wrapped my arms around my chest and rubbed my ribs as I was taught all those years ago in scouts if I was ever trapped in the wilderness and needed to warm myself. I heard a click-clack-click, like that of an insect unfurling, uncurling segments of exoskeleton, stretching limb and body alike, and then the patter-patter-patter of a million clawed feet scurrying above my head. And then I heard the breathing, long and slow and exceptionally un-insect-like. I drew in my breath and was hit with the acrid smell of something putrefied. My eyes darted, desperate to take in any light at all, holding some small hope that my vision would adjust, that I would acclimate to the light level of my surroundings, that I would be able to see my foe even now as its many hard feet rattled all around me. The vision never came. I sensed the weight of the thing sag down toward me as it drew its breath from my legs to my torso. I felt wisps drag across my cheeks, one, then two, then ten hair-like things, leaving slim trails of slime behind across my face. I gasped, and then... My mother looked down on me, and I could tell something wasn't quite right. It wasn't just concern in her eyes. There was something else. Something I had never seen before. It was something beyond worry. Something beyond fear. Since then, I've come to know the look in my mom's eyes quite well. I've come to know that look as dread. Have you started seeing things? Seeing things? I asked. That aren't there, she said, helping me to my feet. Just flashes of color. She closed her eyes and took a deep breath. That wasn't the answer my mom was hoping for. She looked me in the eyes and gulped. That's the first sign. At least it was for me, she said. Of what? I asked. Things to come, she said. And the sounds? Have you heard any sounds along with the colors? Only just now, I said. Sit down. We need to talk. I sat on the couch and she joined me, turning off the television. She described how, when she went through puberty, she started seeing the same things. Flashes of color. Red, then green, then blue, I asked. Yep, red, green, blue, she said. And then I did something stupid. Instead of asking for help, I ignored it. And worse than that, I embraced it. 
And once I had done that, once they had caught my scent, that was it. It was too late. Too late, I asked. To turn back, she said. The words hung in the air in front of me, trying to cut through the thick sludge with which the room had suddenly filled. My vision pulled back into my head, the darkness of tunnel vision encroaching around my mother's face in front of me. A sharp ringing started up on my ears, knifing into my consciousness. You haven't done anything like that, have you? My mom asked. No, I lied. Keep it that way. I laid in bed later that night, unable to sleep, turning the words my mother had said over and over in my head. Too late to turn back. Turn back from what? I sat up in bed, rubbing my temples. Since the incident in the living room several hours prior, my head had been killing. I got up from my bed, swaying a little, disoriented from the pain of my brain. I was no stranger to migraines. As a small child, I had gotten them often. They were blinding, flashing. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, I saw the similarities of those white flashes that would signal an oncoming migraine in my second grade classroom, and the colors I was seeing now. Back then, though, I would see, usually, three flashes of blinding white light. From experience, I knew I would be within 15 minutes of a terrible headache. I would shoot up my hand, whether we were in the middle of a lesson or reading silently, and asked to go to the nurse. I did this much more often than the other kids, and so my teachers would have to be in an exceptionally generous mood to let me go. If I was in a cool, dark place, the nurse often put me in the closet. When the migraine hit, I could usually ride it out in 20 minutes. But if my teacher was feeling prickly that day and didn't want to abide my nonsense, it could sometimes be two hours of squinting through the searing pain. I stumbled out of my bedroom door into the dark hallway. This particular migraine had already lasted three hours. And while it was one of the more painful headaches I'd had, that's not what concerned me. It was the quality of that pain that alarmed me. It was not that sharp, stabbing throb just behind my eye that I was so familiar with. It wasn't the spreading ache around the entirety of my skull, either. This pain, this headache, seemed to burrow down deep. I felt it worm its way through my brain, down into my brainstem, and crawl around in my spinal cord. It traveled down through my nerves, from my neck to my back to my fingertips, and then started over again. I'd already taken the mass dosage on the back of the bottle of painkillers, but I didn't care. I popped a few more and begged the darkness around me for relief. The next morning, I saw red while I brushed my teeth, blue while I ate my eggs, green while I drifted through the house trying to shake the last of the prior night's migraine. My mother had already been at work for hours, but she had called in my absence to school, sure I would be in no shape to make it to the bus at 6.30 a.m. She was right, of course. 
The house was bright. I opened all the blinds, relishing the sun as it poured into every dusty nook and cranny. I tried to keep the flashing colors at bay as best I could, closing my eyes each time the red or green or blue colored my world, shutting out the visual pleasure I normally cherished. Closing my eyes, though, closing my eyes brought on the sounds, brought on the click-clack-click of an insect stretching its legs, brought on the beating sound of leather wings overhead, brought on the long, slow breath of a beast smelling for my scent. My scent. It was something my mother had said the night before, that once they catch my scent, it was too late to turn back. I wondered if that's what that unseen thing was doing last night, with its long breaths and hairs caressing my face. I wondered if it was smelling me, catching my scent. I slipped out onto the back porch and smelled the fresh, dry air. The wind through the trees soothed me somewhat, and the hot desert air warmed my skin. But the cicadas were out and their insectoid screeching sent my skin crawling, put my mind on edge, and sent my blood pressure skyrocketing. I retreated back inside, into the air-conditioned house, and curled up on the couch. I can't recall the exact sequence of events that hurled me back into that visionless nightmare. I think I saw that red flash and the green flash, but the blue flash, I don't think I saw that one. I groped blindly along the rocky stone of that frigid hell. My forearms scraped along the jagged ground, and then I heard the flapping of leather wings, the creaking shout, and felt the impact of that large horror only feet from me. Its many legs ratatatted against the hard stone ground as I tried to scurry away. One clawed foot caught the leg of my jeans, and then another sunk into my calf, pulling me hard. I lost my handhold against the ground, and my face fell quickly into the stone. I felt my nose crack, smashed against the hard rock. Then I was under the hulking terror. Though I couldn't see it, I felt it sag down to get closer. I heard a hundred, maybe a thousand segmented legs creak and crack under its massive weight. Then I felt the thing's sharp breath in, felt those wispy feelers against my skin, and then suddenly I could see. I was sweating, laying in a puddle on the kitchen floor. My nose seared in pain but when I pressed my hand against it, I found no blood, no swelling. My calf felt as if there was a knife sticking out of it, but my skin was unbroken. My forearms felt like they had been raked against a cheese grater. I picked myself up off the floor. My muscles ached from exertion, and down to my bones I felt cold. Cold and empty. I limped to the bathroom, ran the shower, got the water as hot as it would go. During the longest, hottest shower of my life, 
I watched the molten streams of red and green and blue blast out of the shower head and soak into my body. My skin pruned and then peeled, and then I watched myself circle the drain. I heard my mom get home from her second job late that night. I hadn't been able to sleep, or maybe I was just scared to. Scared to let down my guard in the fight against the encroaching colors. I stared at my dark ceiling from my cold bed and watched those same colors dance across the ceiling. I heard my mom's shower run for a few minutes, heard her settle into bed, and then gave up the idea of sleep. Walking to the kitchen, I got bread and peanut butter and strawberry jelly and made myself a sandwich. Feeling the peanut butter stick to the roof of my mouth grounded me, tethered me to the world around me. The sweetness of the strawberry jelly stung my teeth, which reminded me that I needed to ask my mom to make me a dentist appointment. I finished the PB&J and slid a glass out of the cabinet, filling it with cold milk from the fridge. I relished the chill of the milk through the glass, sipped it, felt it wash the sticky peanut butter out of my mouth, tasted it mingle with the strawberry, and then my vision went dark. The chill of the whipping wind shot into my bones like an injection. I spun on the spot and felt the gravelly rock crunch below my feet. The thing was already on me. I had no time. I ran and stumbled immediately. Unable to see the ground in front of me, my foot caught a rock. All five of my toes smashed against the stone, and I howled as at least two of them broke. I heard the thing spring to life as I scrambled to my feet again. Each step on those mangled toes was torture, and the thing closed the gap quickly. It knocked me to the ground. I rolled over and found myself staring at the living room ceiling. I heard the click, clack, click of an insect stretching out its legs. I looked around into the dark corners of the room, mottled with red and green and blue, and I rolled onto my side, hugging my knees to my chest. Curled on the carpet, I vibrated with intensity, but it wasn't enough to warm my now bloodless extremities. I heard something or someone descend the stairs behind me, but I was too scared to move, to check, to make sure it was my mother coming down from her room and not something else. I felt whatever had joined me in the living room settle in behind me, and then I smelled my mother's shampoo. I let out a weak whimper. My mom slid her hand under my head and lifted it up and then slid her lap underneath, using her legs to cradle me. She stroked my forehead and ran her fingers through my hair. I trembled with each touch, staring off to nowhere in particular. My eyes came to rest on the green numbers displayed on the front of the VCR, 
nearly two in the morning. I could hear it. I could hear it coming. That thing. And then my mother leaned down and whispered in my ear, You're going to see it soon. You're going to see it, and you're going to have to run every time you do, she whispered to me. Promise me you'll run. Is it going to be scary, I asked her. Is it scary to see? And she responded, It's going to be horrible. This episode of Death, Dying, and Other Things was produced and edited by me, Justin Buskey. The story, One Red, One Green, One Blue, was written by me, too. You can follow me on Twitter, at Justin Buskey. Intro and outro music is by the prolific Eric Warnke. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to the excruciating act of growing up. Death, Dying, and Other Things is a member of the Modern Horrors Podcast Network. Check out the other shows... They're all great. New episodes the first Thursday of every month. This has been Death, Dying, and Other Things, and I've been your host, Justin Buskey. Stay out of the shadows.